Amen. Got to have a sense of humor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here and that we can laugh at church and have a good time at church. But Lord, I thank you for your presence being a part of our service today in the worship time. And Lord, I do pray for individuals that may have been uh, going through a hard time in their life. And Lord, they need to laugh. They need joy. They need to find joy in the journey, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through this message this morning. Just have your way today. And Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are looking into 1 John. We looked at 1 John chapter 1 last week. And of course, our series for the, uh, this year is Finding Your Joy in the Journey. And, and you know, I, I was kind of listening to some preachers this week, and, and this one speaker uh, said this comment that I want to share with you this morning. And he said, you know, it's interesting, a lot of people forget about the journey they're in, and they just get focused on a destination. And they're so focused on a destination that they never enjoy the moments each and every day that come their way. Because they're always focused on something down the road or something over the hill or something next Sunday or da-da-da-da-da-da. And he said, you know what? I think we need to be challenged today to discover the Lord in our everyday life and every moment that we live and every moment of the day and understand that he is a part of our journey. Would you say amen to that? I thought, man, that's a great word. Because we get so caught up in destinations, we forget about the everyday, daily, hour-by-hour, day-by-day journey that we discover ourselves in every single day. Now, I made it very clear that if we want to find joy in the journey, we have to choose joy. It is a choice. No matter what people say, I'll be honest with you, you have to choose joy. And I think that we need this year to position ourselves in places or in different settings to find joy. And so we talked a lot about finding joy in laughter, finding joy even in the midst of trials and tribulations, as last month we looked into the book of Philippians and walked through the four chapters of Philippians. And we were reminded by the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, references joy, rejoicing, being joyful in the Lord 18 times in this short little letter. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always, chapter 4, verse 4, and I will say it again, rejoice. And he was an example to us that we can have joy no matter what happens around us in life. Doesn't matter what they're doing at the State of the Union address, amen? Doesn't matter what's happening behind the scenes, doesn't matter what's happening at the, at, at the speaker's podium, what happens, doesn't matter what's happening in the political realm or what's happening on the south side of Chicago, if there's shootings or all this, we can still find joy in the journey if we choose to look for it. And I pray we do. Chuck Swindle said, I know of no greater need today than the need for joy, unexplainable, contagious joy, outrageous joy. And he says, in the, mo the place we need it the most is in the church. And I think we need to laugh, amen? We need to laugh at ourselves. We need to take a, a step back and take a look at what's happening around us and understand we can find joy in the journey. And Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I think if we want to find joy in a journey, our first connection, we learned this in 1 John chapter 1, is we need to connect with the word of life, and the word of life is Jesus. 
Because when we connect with the word of life, Jesus, something happens. When we connect to the word of life, Jesus, this light illuminates our path, helps us, shows us where to go, what to do, even what to say, what not to say. And then that light lights our path, and as a result of the light lighting our path, we are not trapped in darkness because the reality is if we don't connect to the word of life, if we don't connect to the light, we're never going to connect to the love. That's our kind of our focus this month of February. It's the love month, amen? For all you guys, just so you don't forget, what's Thursday? Valentine's Day. It's the day to show uh, your loved ones how much you love them. And so we're in the Valentine's Day month, and I thought, man, you know, if you want to find joy in a journey, you know what, and you want to find it in joy, you need to choose love. You need to choose laughter, you need to laugh, you need to laugh, and even hardship, but you also need to love. And really, maybe we need to love again. Maybe somewhere along the line, we've lost our love. Maybe it's faded away. Maybe it's done this. Maybe it's done that. I don't know. But I think we need to rediscover this thing called love, L-O-V-E. And, you know, and I look around and, and I really think that we have to make sure we have the right kind of love. Because, you see, the Bible says God is love, L-O-V-E, capital L. Love originated with God, by the way. It wasn't created by this world. It wasn't created by demons. It wasn't even created by angels. It was recreated by God himself. He is the author of love. He is the one who is able to define love, and he is the one to reveal to us the truth about what is real love, love that will last, love that is spoken about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a, it's a love that we, I think, all crave and all desire. When we find that love, when we check into that love, connect with that love, we find joy. But we have to connect with it. And we need to understand there are different types of love out there, and there's a counterfeit kind of love. You know, if you look around in what's portrayed in the media or what's portrayed in a lot of the sitcoms or what's portrayed in movies or what's portrayed in romance novels, you discover that when God talks about love, that's not the kind of love he's talking about. Now, God is the author of romantic love, and absolutely, and he created that whole dimension. But there's this kind of love that I think we need to connect to if we really want to find joy in the journey. And, and the sad thing is there's a counterfeit thing called love out there that the world portrays. It's very popular in our world today, but it's distorted and misinterpreted. It's not the kind of love God talks about that he speaks about in this chapter and in the rest of the book of First John. We hear about it in popular songs and, like I said, books and movies. And by the way, there's not enough to fill a library full of this counterfeit kind of love. We often forget love is truly a Christian idea, God idea. It originated with them, and I want to reiterate that. But the world describes love as a feeling, an overwhelming passion. God says it's a guiding principle of moral of life. Love is the light by which the Christian is able to make moral decisions, good decisions for his life. And I sometimes do sit back and get very frustrated with the views of the world's residents because they distort love. A lot of our celebrities distort love. They're in and out of love. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I read about love in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not a love that you're in and out of. It's a love that's steady and staying true. It's a love that forgives. It's a love that overlooks. It's a love that overlooks a person's flaws. It's a love that commits and never gives up. It's a love that stays with it to the end. That's the kind of love God talks about. And we have to understand there are different types of love out there. 
And we have to understand that if we want joy in the journey, if we want to be able to, to make it through the tough times of life and the hardship times of life, we need love. I don't know about you, but when you really have God's love within your family unit, then your family unit becomes a support system to help you through the tough times. I can attest to that. It's there when sickness invades your home. When you have God's kind of love pervasive in your family, unleashed in your family, in the hearts of your family, when, when the sick times come, you're able to press through it as well. And it's something that we must connect with if we want joy. It is something we must connect with if we want an abundant life filled with joy. It's what we must connect with if we not only want to have joy in this life, but we want to help other people find joy in their life as well. You know, people crave love, real love. You know, I've read story after story of people who have had multiple partners and sex with that person and sex with that person. And, and in the end, they say that's none of that is love. They'll tell you it, it, it becomes pointless and meaningless at one point. And we have to understand we can't listen to how the world defines love. We need to listen to how God defines love. So we're going to kind of do that today. And so my challenge to you today is do you really want joy in a journey? If you do, listen to the message of 1 John. Listen to the message of chapter 2 that we're going to jump into. Understand you have to connect with the word of life, Jesus. Secondly, that word of life connects you with the light. And that light is what will lead you out of darkness and into the light so that you have and can find the love and the joy. So let's talk about it. You see, there's an equation in 1 John chapter 2 that kind of jumps out at me as I've read through this passage a few times this week. In verse 1, it says, My dear, dear children, I write this to you, says John, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Can I pause for a moment? That is love in action. See, Jesus... Christ came to die on the cross for us, for your sins, my sins. And what's so amazing about Jesus is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whomsoever should believeth on him shall not perish and have everlasting life. That's the promise of God. That's why Jesus came. He came out of love. And the amazing thing is, is Jesus now who has risen from the dead and who is seated at, up in heaven next to God the Father is the one who on our behalf, when we sin, he speaks to the Father on our, in our defense to get us forgiven. I don't know about you, but that's, that's, that still blows my mind. I was driving my truck yesterday and, and I thought there's billions of people in this world. Billions, think about this for a moment. Billions of people. And God loves me, Mike, personally, intimately. How do I know that? Because I've experienced them. See, John opened up John chapter 1 in verse 1, and he said to them this. He says, I am not talking to you about a person that I haven't seen, heard, or touched. Because, see, John traveled with Jesus. He said, I am talking about a person that I have seen, that I have heard with my own ears, and that I have touched with my own hands. And I have came back last week and told you something, that what John was saying to each of us is, even though Jesus has been resurrected and he's with the Father, and, but he sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus so that he can help us see Jesus, hear Jesus, and so we can even be touched by Jesus. And I was touched by Jesus in the front row during our worship time. 
Last night I was touched by the Lord. Uh, they had ladies night, I guess, last night, and they played games. My wife came back and said it was so much fun. I was just, thank you, Lord, it's just for the ladies. I'm not a big gamer, okay? Besides, when I play games with my wife or my daughters, they just, they just destroy me. And I lose all self-esteem, and I get depressed, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not a big gamer. But she said it was so much fun. But I got to sit at home, and, and actually I had recorded uh, one of International House of Prayer's uh, uh, conventions that were going on uh, down in Kansas City, and I had recorded it so I could have a chance. To, and I watched it last night, and it was, man, the presence of God. I mean, I, I was just walking around my living room as they were playing, and I just felt the presence of God in my living room. And then, I, then the preacher started preaching, and I'll be honest with you, I started to listen. Mike Bickle was preaching, and he said four things in a row, and I listened to the four things he said, and I felt they spoke right into my heart. I mean, just like, whoa, that was for me. Whoa, I feel that. And see, this is this whole idea of love, and Jesus says that on our behalf, he, he goes to the Father in, in our defense and says, hey, you know, they've, they've accepted me as their Lord and Savior, Father, and, and, and they've asked for forgiveness of their sins, and, and Lord, forgive them for what they've done. Amazing thing is, God listens to Jesus, amen? God the Father. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that is Jesus, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if, listen to this, because this is a biggie. We know that we know Jesus. If we know Jesus, we will obey his commands. Hmm. I don't know if a lot of people in the church believe that today. If we know him, we're going to obey what he wants us to do. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John's very plain, very straightforward. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. See, the act of obedience, of following God's word, unleashes the love of God and the presence of God in my heart, my life, my mind. That's how it works. This is how we know we are in him. How do we know we're in God? How do we know God lives in us? How do we know God is real? How do I know God was speaking to me yesterday in my living room? This is how we know. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, says John, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is a message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Jesus and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother and I'll slash their sister is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother slash sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Do you want to keep from stumbling? Do you want to keep from being lost in darkness? Then you need to love. You can't hate. Love and hate are opposites. That's what he's talking about, love and hate. Now, love has all kinds of fruits to it. I mean, there, there's peace, and there's goodness, and there's joy, and all these things kind of come attached to love as, as fruits of the Spirit. But on the other spectrum, hate has all kinds of fruits attached to it called unforgiveness, bitterness, anger. All those things that are not associated with God at all, that are not associated with love, that are not associated and never will be found in heaven. 
You will never find those things in heaven when you go to heaven. They will not be allowed into heaven. So there's this comparison that starts to happening with John, who, I want to say it again, who has seen Jesus, heard Jesus, and been touched by Jesus, literally. And he says there's a battle. There's love and hate. There's love and hate in this world. On one side is love, the other side is hate, because the opposite of love is hate. And so he's really starting to try and get our attention in this writing. He's really writing to us to challenge us about what we're doing and how we're living our lives and what it means to be a real Christian. Because you know what, when I, when I look at this chapter, love and hate, they're kind of they're parallel for some people. You know, you always hear the phrase, there's a love and hate relationship with them. Can I tell you something in God? There is no love and hate relationship. Can you say amen to that? He loves us unconditionally because of Jesus. It's not love and hate. See, a lot of times people think God's mad at them. Can I tell you something? That is a lie from the pit of hell. God is not mad at you. God loves you. God loves me. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. That's why I need love. Amen? The Apostle Paul said in Romans, the things I do not want to do, these I keep on doing over and over again. But oh yes, thank God for Jesus Christ. Because, yeah, we're flawed, we're imperfect, but praise the Lord, God loves me so much. If I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, given my life over to him, and do my best to live for him, he promises to forgive me, to love me, to be there for me, and I think the promises in Scripture that I will see him, hear him, and yes, even be touched by him. And it's all because of love. It's not because I'm good enough. It's because he's good enough, amen? It's because he's loved, because he has forgiven me. See, I fall short all the time. The older I get, the more I understand how much I do not deserve heaven. <laughs> but you're the pastor. Can I tell you something? The older I get, I understand how important grace is. Amen? Because I just see more. <laughs> you know, I remember a friend of mine in Bible college, and he had read through the whole Bible. By the way, he had memorized the New Testament. I am not kidding. He was our class valedictorian, and his sermon for our valedictorian messages, he quoted Matthew verbatim without any notes. <laughs> he made a statement to me afterwards. He goes, I got it all, I got it all memorized. I don't know if I have to do much else now because I got it all. And I looked at him and said, you better keep memorizing. Because you know what? As soon as you get into it, next time you go to it again, and I don't know about you, I go back to Scripture, I'm like, I never saw that before. It's a thing called the Holy Spirit, amen? He opens my eyes to another dimension. And, and yeah, I get over this hurdle, that hurdle, that hurdle to become more like Jesus, because that's my goal, to become more like Jesus. And the next thing that happens is I discover that, oh man, I'm still short. I got to do this now. That's why I keep saying, praise God for the grace of Jesus Christ and his love. So the equation I find in 1 John is this, God plus love minus hate minus, we're going to talk about this in a moment, the love of the world equals joy in the journey. That's what I see in, in this whole thing in chapter 2, because he goes on and he continues in chapter 2, and he says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. I read that in verse 10. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness, and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. But then if you jump on down to verse 15, John says something that I think could be considered contradictory. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pause. That seems like a contradiction in turn because we have just been told by John that we need to love and not hate. But then he wants to clarify what he means by love and hate. He says, you cannot love the sin of the world. And he's going to clarify that. Remember, we started talking out about sin in verse 1. And then he's going to talk about it again. For everything in the world, he wants to define what he means by the world. The cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and doesn't have comes not from the Father, but from the world. So pride, arrogance, not of God. Pride and arrogance will never bring love into a relationship. Can you say amen to that? It just won't do it. It'll steal love. It'll steal joy if you're prideful and arrogant, and it's all about you. And it's all about your lust-filled eyes. See, the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will, he says, live forever. And he goes on to talk a little bit more. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. You may be asking the question, what's an Antichrist? Anybody who doesn't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Anybody who fights against the things and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Bible, the Word, his church, is an antichrist. That's how they're defined. I was disturbed this week because our ministerial association, which I belong to in Tinley Park, is now thinking of doing away with just being Christian. They want to invite all kinds of other faiths into it. Now, I am all for working with other faiths, but I do know this. I believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. So I know the truth. Jesus is the only way. It may not be a politically correct statement today in our world, but it is the truth. And so our ministerial is debating whether they want to just remain Christian only. <laughs> I had a lot to say. <laughs> about that because I'm like either we believe in what we teach or we don't either we believe the Bible is the word of God or it's not the word of God I am not promoting hate amen but I'm promoting love true love the truth because the truth is what it talks about in first john here that we only find truth through god who is love through the god of the bible through jesus christ that's where we find love <laughs> you you want a word for love it's jesus amen and, and he is the way and, and and i reminded them you know and i remind myself i've been kind of processing this whole thing this whole week and i'm thinking to myself okay what am i going to do in my arguments so some of the things i just said are part of my argument all right and I thought, what am I going to say? And that's what I'm going to say. Then we're giving up on Jesus, amen? I can't give up on Jesus. But I need to know that there is a battle between this thing of love and hate, and John talks about it. And so the contradiction is, is I, I need to love the world through the Lord, through Jesus, but I cannot love the ways of the sinful world, amen? Do you see the difference? There is a difference. And, you know, and my challenge and my challenge for you today is to be able to discern the difference between the two. 
And, and when we're talking about this thing of love and hate, we need to understand that, yeah, it's, 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 it's alive and well in this world. And people say hate is a strong word, but so is love. And people who throw that around, they, they, they use it like it's nothing because everything's love. That's not love. You know, I, I had a guy I never met the other day. You know, we talked a little bit, and he, he got up from the table and says, man, I love you. And I'm thinking, you don't even know me, dude. Do you understand what I mean? We throw this word love around so flippantly. And I think we have to get a good comprehension of this thing of the war between love and hate. See, God calls us to walk the path of love, not hate. I'm not to, I'm not to literally hate the people in the world. I'm not even to hate the ministers who are bringing up, changing us from being just a Christian organization to a diverse organization. And I mean diverse with faith. Actually, it's not them. As the Lord said something to me, and he just challenged me. He said, Mike, I, you have been reading 1 John 4. Those who do not love, they walk in darkness. If they're not connected to God, they can't even see what they're saying. That's how crazy it is for people to think you can kill your baby right up until the day it's born. That's crazy, folks. Do you know how insane that is? I mean, God says, I knew you in the womb. I created you. And we live in a crazy society today that's redefining everything. And then I heard one guy say on TV, he says, well, if you really love your child, you would abort them. What? What? Whoa, you just used love and abortion. Have you ever seen what happens to kids that are aborted and how brutal it is? Come on, folks. We fall into deception. So back to this love and hate thing. John warns us that in the end times, people are going to hate us because of our message and what we stand for. But yet we still have to walk in love. And, you know, th this thing of when we are warned that hate is not a part of those who walk in love, hate is defined as a feel, uh, to feel intense or passionate dislike for something. And one of the fruits of hate is unforgiveness. See, unforgiveness, love forgets wrong so that there is no hope for the future. Amen? Because when love forgives, there is hope for the future. Bitterness is a root. When we choose to not forgive, its, its roots are nursed, watered, protected, fed, and given attention. They increase in depth and strength. If not dealt with quickly, roots are hard to pull up. The strength of the offense will continue to grow. And we are therefore extorted not to let the sun go down on our wrath, but people let the sun go down on their wrath and they and they feed it, and they let the roots go deeper and deeper. And then as a result of that, we have unforgiveness, resentment, anger, jealousy, hatred, strife, and discord. That's why hate is not the path of the light. That is not the path of love. And you can't even have that with anybody. I don't care if they're of another faith. You can't have that. And, and so the challenge is that we can't hate. We still have to love. Even if we disagree, we still have to love. And Jesus modeled and commanded for us not to hate, but to love. He said on the, on the cross, as he's been beaten and persecuted by all these people that are all around him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's love in action, the ability to forgive. We're told in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, and that is to love one another. We need to love one another. We're to love and not hate. 
And we're being challenged. Love is the only thing we can take with us into heaven, by the way. Nothing else. Actions of love will go with us into heaven, by the way. But degrees, money, fame, fortune will not. Actions of hate and unforgiveness will be banished and never be allowed into heaven. Richard Wurmbrand, who spent 14 years suffering in a communist prison camp, reminds all believers with less than ideal circumstances that if the heart is cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ and if the heart loves him, you can resist all tortures and still love your enemies, he said, and he was tortured. He said as he was talking to an individual who had been part of the Soviet Union KGB, who had been arrested because he got converted and became a believer, he asked him how he could still love those who were torturing him. And this is, what, this is a story the guy shared with him. He said, there is this guy, he said, that we were going to execute because he was preaching about Jesus Christ. And he said, and before he was to be executed, they allowed him to see his wife. And this is what he said to his wife in front of me. You must know that I die loving those who kill me. They don't know what they do, and my last request of you is to love them too. Don't let bitterness in your heart take root, because that will kill you, my beloved one. One day we will meet in heaven, and these words so impressed this KGB officer that the next day he gave his life to Christ, and a year or so later he was arrested and thrown into the same prison camp. See, that's the power of love over hate. Rabbi Michael Weiser lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, and had more than, and for more than three years was basically harassed by a guy by the name of Larry Trapp, who was a self-proclaimed Nazi and Ku Klux Klansman. He directed a torrent of hate-filled mailings and phone calls toward him every day. Trapp promoted white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and other messages of prejudice, declaring his apartment the KKK state headquarters and himself the Grand Dragon of Nebraska. His whole purpose in life seemed to be spewed out of hate-ridden racial slurs and obscene remarks against Weiser and all those who are like him. At first, the Weisers were so afraid they locked their doors worried themselves almost sick over the safety of their family. But one day the rabbi found out that Trapp was a 42-year-old clinically blind double amputee. And he became convinced that Trapp's own physical helplessness was a source of the bitterness he expressed. So Rabbi Weiser decided to do the unexpected. He left a message on Trapp's answering machine, telling him of the other side of life, a life free of hatred and racism and filled with love. He says, I probably called 10 times and left messages before he finally picked up the phone and asked me why I was harassing him <laughs> with love. <laughs> I said, I'd like to help him. I offered him a ride to the grocery store or to the mall, anything he needed. He was stunned. There was silence on the other end of the phone. Disarmed by love, kindness, and courtesy, he started thinking. He later admitted through tears that he had heard in my voice the love of Jesus Christ. Something I, I guess I didn't realize. And slowly the bitter man began to soften. One night he called us, said he wanted out of being caught up in hatred. And in return, we went over there, we bought a pizza, we went over and had pizza with them, my whole family and I. We led them to Jesus. 
he confessed, repented, and were good friends. Now, he's a rabbi, but he's a Messianic Jewish rabbi, just so you know. He believes in Jesus. He's a Messianic Jewish rabbi. <laughs> I come back to Luke 6.35, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend them to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I want to play a video, because next week, I think we have a huge event happening here at Christian Hills. Now, by the way, um, Matt and Will, uh, my connection with them came from when I went to one race in Atlanta, Georgia, where I heard him speak. And then I was able to connect up with Matt. Uh, most, you know, Krista, my daughter, put this event together in Atlanta, Georgia, where over 24,000 people came onto Stone Mountain. So I'm going to have you play, if we can play that video. So just a reminder of how this whole thing next weekend got connected to. Go ahead. But the greatest miracle of all was the greatest revival in the history of the world when one of the greatest cities of all the world's history Turn from the king on down to God in repentance of sin and faith in God. If you really want the price, the cost to everything. Here I am, and to come, I won't revive. No more survival. Search the waters, break the idols, raise the altar, fill me up and pour me out, place you at upon my mouth, the ones who won't come out, let it fall, you slam my heart again. Fan it into flame, burn it till the Sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners 
will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream. That excerpt from Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream, was fulfilled that night when Matt Lockett, who's coming next week, and Will Ford, who's coming next week here, they will be here Sunday morning preaching at our service, and then we have the big rally Sunday night at 6. When those two guys came there to share their story, and in a nutshell, their story is an amazing story. It'll blow your mind. They had become friends. They had met at the call in Washington, D.C., and become friends for a couple years, and they soon discovered through a series of God-ordained events that they will tell their own story that Matt Lockett's family owned Will Ford's family as slaves. And God brought them together to speak about racial reconciliation and bringing people together and the power of love over hate. Amen? And so next Sunday morning, they're going to be sharing. And then next Sunday night, they're going to share their story. So, you know, I'm going to say online for all those that are watching us online, if you don't come to church often, come next Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, because Matt told me this is their first time to Chicago. And he believes what God started in Atlanta, Georgia, at that event is going to start here in Chicago. And he believes it's going to be a great move of the Holy Spirit. And so Matt's challenged me to challenge you to invite people to come out to this event. And, and like I said, I've been inviting everybody I know, and I challenge you to do the same. And, and, and then I also want to challenge you, if you go to a Christian Hills Facebook page, you'll see the event on our Facebook page, and we want you to click to share that with other people. Amen? Because we really believe God has a message of reconciliation, love, not hate. Amen? And we need the love. We can't hate. And we need to come together in, the, in brotherhood and unity. And Martin Luther King said that I have a dream that one day on Stone Mountain that my brothers will come together, and they did. And that happened in August. And that was the first time that ever happened on Stone Mountain. And most of you know my daughter Krista had to deal with a lot of KKK people because Stone Mountain is their holy, was their holy mountain where they raised up the first burning cross ever was in, on Stone Mountain in Atlanta, Georgia. And they had death threats, and they threatened to set off bombs, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Long story short, who won out in the day? Love won over hate. Amen? It was a phenomenal day that we got to be a part of for those who went. I want you to know that God's doing something. Amen? And John says that we need to love. We need to love Jesus. We need to know that love comes from God, and we need to reject the hate. Hallelujah. And, and if we reject the hate, something's going to happen, man. I believe something's going to happen big next week. And I'm, I'm going to say it again. You need to invite people to come. Because I really believe the power of the Holy Spirit is going to show up. On, on, when, when we've been talking about this, Matt is absolutely convinced. I mean, they've been praying. They have been fasting about this event. And they keep telling me something big is going to happen, Mike. We knew that God wanted us to come to Chicago, but there had been no invitations until I invited them to come after this event to come here. And this is all about love and hate. Hallelujah. Love is more powerful than hate. Love will usurp hate because God is love. And if we want love to take root in our church, in our community, in our school, then, then we, man, we, we've got to support the events that are pushing love over hate. And they're going to share a lot of great stuff. And, and, you know, and I want you to understand that, man, we need to do that. And we need to bring love and not hate. 
I kind of want to wrap up my whole message today by challenging you to do a few things. We need to discover the word of life, Jesus, and follow his light to love. See, God is love, and those who have the love don't hate, because love does not hate because they are of the light, not the darkness. Those who love God hate the world, sinful ways. Yes, we don't, we don't love sin, but we love the sinner. Amen? We don't love sin. We don't get involved in loving sin and being wrapped up in sin. We do love the sinners, those who are trapped in sin. And trust me, they are trapped in it. And we need to do away with pride and lust and selfishness because these bring pain, lies, suffering, chaos, hate, antichrist, venom, and even murder to the world. And we need to bring love to the table. When I was young, see, there's two types of people in this world. There's people who will come into a relationship, and, and whenever a relationship gets difficult, they're able to soothe things over. Have you ever met people like that? They're like peacemakers. They could just, like, you know, things are, something's said wrong or something's getting kind of hot or heavy, and, and they have the ability to be able to basically throw water on the fire and calm things down. Then there's other people in life who, well, they're the ones who come into the situation and light the fire. Have you met people like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you met people like that? Well, I got a story. I, I was about nine years old, and... My uncle and my dad were working on my grandfather's prize 66 pickup truck. And my uncle was trying to soup the truck up to go faster. And my dad was kind of watching, not so much helping. And so he did something with the fuel system to kind of almost like make a fuel injection thing. And when he started the truck, it caught on fire. And my uncle had a buddy named Buzzy. And when Buzzy saw the fire, he went and grabbed this can, and he went and threw the can onto the truck to put out the fire, not realizing my uncle had drained the gas out of the gas tank so there wouldn't be a fire, and he literally threw gas on my grandpa's truck, his prize truck, by the way. And I sat there as the thing went up in smoke and then eventually blew up. And so my, my pap comes home from work, and he was a mill worker in Pittsburgh. And uh, he's sitting talking to my dad at the table. Now, uh, this is my mom's dad. We called him pap. He looks at my dad, and he says, man. He goes, Bob, I just don't get it. He goes, how can a truck just kind of explode like that? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? And my dad slips and says, well, you'd blow up too if somebody threw a can of gas on you. <laughs> it kind of added fuel to the fire, right? <laughs> and I just sat there because <laughs> my pap got mad. And I was just like, oh, Uncle Chuck better run because <laughs> he's in trouble. And I want to come back to love and hate. Either we're driven by love to throw water on the fires of life, or we're driven by hate where we throw gasoline into these relationships and blow them up. What are we doing? Are we going to choose love or hate? Because hate is unforgiveness. Remember, the fruit of hate is unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, rage, da-da-da-da-da. 
Or are we going to choose love, which has joy, peace, all these other good things? So can I challenge you to choose love today? Amen? Because we're choosing love, the power of love, next weekend. And I know God's going to do something amazing, but you need to love somebody enough to invite them out to this event because I believe it's going to be big. Matt believes it's going to be big. Will believes it's going to be big. And by the way, Will's going to bring his pot where his ancestors, his, his slave ancestors, prayed into this pot for God to end the civil war to, or, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. They prayed into the pot that God would end slavery in the United States as they were slaves. That their kids would be set free. I also want you to know that the civil war ended in the front yard of the Lockett Farm in Virginia, which were Matt's relatives. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make this up. And these slaves owned by the Lockett's in Louisiana prayed that God would end slavery. And the end of the Civil War, the last battle, happened in the front yard in Virginia at the Lockett Farm. And of course... We know what happened after that. Is that amazing? And can I tell you something? They have all kinds of God stories they're going to tell you. You will be blown away by their God stories. I, I, I just finished reading their book again, Dream King, and I still get blown away of how God brought these two guys together for such a time as this. And they talk and they reveal that love has more power than hate. And love will win out in the end. Amen? So let's stand as we close. Lord, I thank you for today's word on love and hate. I pray for next week's event that we would invite people out Sunday morning to hear Matt and Will share and speak. But also, uh, next Sunday night at 6, Lord, when they're going to tell their story of how you wove them and brought them together to bring healing, restoration, and to show the power of love over hate. And Lord, I pray that we would get excited because I believe something's going to happen in our community, in our church, in our school. I think even in the city of Chicago, God. And Lord, I know it's not something that we're authoring or that we're doing. It's something that your hand is in. And you have a purpose and a plan for this huge event next week. But Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to choose love over hate. I pray that we would choose love over unforgiveness. I pray that we would choose love over anger. I pray that we would choose love over bitterness, love over pride and arrogance. I pray that you would help us to be the Christians you call us to be, to be like you, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to each heart that is here, Lord, even if some of them are struggling with the inability to forgive someone who did something horrible to them. Lord, I pray you touch their hearts right now. We ask this in your precious name. I don't know where you're at today, but if you need prayer for anything, come on down front. We would love to pray for you, our prayer teams. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget, invite people back to our amazing next Sunday. I think God's going to do something supernatural. God bless. Have a good week.